This is where your typical ad read would go. It would typically say something like, Hi, I'm Winston from HubSpot. And then proceed to tell you why you should buy HubSpot. But I'm not going to do that. Sorry, expectations. I want to tell you about someone else. Later in the episode, we'll hear from one of HubSpot's customers that turned stylish beanies into a force to fight pediatric cancer. Learn more about how HubSpot can help you grow your business at HubSpot.com slash customer love. It's Sunday, November 18th, 2018. You're walking down the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Every morning starts with coffee, and this one's no different. But before you head inside, you snag yourself a copy of the Sunday New York Times. You take a seat, crack open the paper, and find a full-page ad with light pink typeface that reads, An Open Letter to Victoria's Secret. Now, if you're like me, you slide that coffee right off the table and pour yourself some tea. You want me to take it from the top? Yeah, take it from the top. Yeah? Gladly. <clears throat> Dear Victoria's Secret, I was appalled when I saw the demeaning comments about women your chief marketing officer, Ed Razik, made to Vogue last week. As hard as it is to believe, he said the following. Quote, We attempted to do a television special for plus sizes in 2000. No one had any interest in it. Still don't. It's like, why doesn't your show do this? Shouldn't you have transsexuals in the show? No. No, I don't think we should. Well, why not? Because the show's a fantasy. I've read and reread the interview at least 20 times, and each time I read it, I'm even angrier. How in 2018 can the CMO of any public company, let alone one that claims to be for women, make such shocking derogatory statements? You market to men and sell a male fantasy to women. But at Third Love, we think beyond, as you said, a 42-minute entertainment special. Your show may be fantasy, but we live in reality. Our reality is that women wear bras in real life as they go to work, breastfeed their children, play sports, care for ailing parents, and serve their country. Haven't we moved beyond outdated ideas of femininity and gender roles? It's time to stop telling women what makes them sexy. Let us decide. We're done with pretending certain sizes don't exist or aren't important enough to serve. And please stop insisting that inclusivity is a trend. Victoria's Secret and Ed Razik did later apologize for his comments. But those comments, you see, were about as subtle as a sledgehammer. It sounded a little something like this. We're nobody's third love, we're women's first love. Shots fired. I was just completely shocked. It took me a moment to really realize that he was talking about us because it almost seemed unimaginable that that would have been something that he said. Look, Victoria's Secret, as Razik says in that Vogue interview, is the 800-pound gorilla in the space. There's really no arguing that. But the world in which Victoria's Secret operates, one of pinups and male gaze, it just feels so distant now. Like this comment of his, for instance. Having showed uh, plus-size women in 2000, um, that they would never um, show a transgender uh, in their fashion show because that's not what people want to see. You know, that women want a 42-minute fantasy. So there's a lot of things that he said that just were so antiquated. And I think 
just so out of touch with how a lot of women feel. And it felt like it was the right moment for us to kind of stand up to say, like, listen, like, we really need to have more respect for women and diversity as well. This is a story of how one brand is challenging the idea of fantasy with something so much more sublime. Reality. That company is Third Love, makers of bras for everybody. And on this season of The Growth Show, we're looking at all the ways companies are growing better. I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. I'm going to kick this episode off with a little history lesson. Yeah, we're doing that. And once you hear it, it's impossible to ignore. The history of bra sizes is easier to trace than, well, the process behind actually making one. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We start in the mid-70s with a cabaret singer turned fit model named Dorothy Galligan. Dorothy was the quintessential 34B. Her shape and size was, according to industry standards, the perfect fit. And that perfection led to something incredible. The majority of all bras in the market, from the mid-70s through to today, are sized according to Dorothy's 34B. Yeah, you didn't hear that wrong. All sizes, large and small, are scaled proportionately from Dorothy's 34B. It's no surprise that Dorothy is a legend in the industry. But to have a piece of garment, one that half the population wears, that's intended to fit women of all shapes, all sizes, and to have that based on one singular woman? Well, unless bras all have the same magical powers as the sisterhood of the traveling pants, I think most women are shit out of luck. Heidi Zack refuses to settle for less. I'm Heidi Zack, co-founder and co-CEO of Third Love. Heidi's journey starts at the place where the feelings of fear and loathing linger. Basically, I was just a customer who hated bra shopping. You know, just <laughs> another woman like many out there who really disliked it. And I was thinking to myself, why am I still going to a store to buy a bra? I buy a lot of things online. It seems like I should be able to buy a bra online. This is in 2012, the initial ideas. Um, and so there were no bra online bra direct-to-consumer companies at that point. Um, yeah. And then second, you know, it was really about finding a better fit. And so what I also came to realize over this journey is I'm actually a half cup size. So we started creating half cups in 2013 and about a quarter of our customers are half cups. A quarter. A quarter. It's 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 quite high. And so for me, I've never had a bra that fit because I was never in the right size. So I think, you know, a lot of those just natural problems that I saw in the market when I went and researched them, I realized nobody was focused on solving them. And then I thought, well, seems like something I should be able to do. Right. A bra. Simple. Two cups, hook, eye, toss in a couple of straps. How, how hard, hard can could this be? be? I always say if I had only known how hard this would be, because when I started the company, I'm like, how hard could it be to design and manufacture a bra that's actually comfortable? It can't be that hard. Yeah. And then you get to go down that path and you realize it's incredibly hard. A single bra has 30 components. For reference, a button-down men's shirt has four. 
They're all coming from different suppliers. You're talking about specs on the garment that are down to a millimeter. So in terms to get the right fit, all those little things matter. It's a very, very complex garment. It's the hardest garment to manufacture. It's no wonder a lot can go wrong. Do I ever experience fit or comfort issues? I would say daily. All the time. (laughs) Finding a bra that fits is the worst. I constantly experience fit issues. Straps. Strap. Slippage. Even if it's sized, throughout the day it loosens and it will slide off your shoulder. Then you have to do the uncomfortable scooch during work. It's the worst. Where you're trying to get it back up your shoulder and that's not professional. No one likes that. Okay, what else? I would say another thing I hate the most is the more comfortable the fabric, fabric, usually the less likely it is to stay on you. Fabrics. One of the things that always bothered me was what I call the itchy back syndrome. I think an itchy tag is probably a really good way to ruin your day. So that's where you have the tag on the hook and eye on the back of your bra and you cut it off because it's itching you and then that little part of the tag remains there and then all day long it rubs on your back. I fucking hate it with a passion. One of the things we did with all of our bras today is that we have no tags on our bras so we print on the hook and eye so there's no tags. I had one of the ones that clips in the front and it broke. The sides can be really pokey and really itchy. Wires are the devil. Poking wires is another one. Yeah. So we use really flexible wires that can kind of move and ebb and flow with your body. It is incredible uncomfortable to have some stranger measure you. It just is. And then the other for me was really the cup and the shape of the cup. And so our cup in particular is memory foam. So it gives you a great shape, but it looks much more natural because it's really lightweight. There's many things that could go wrong. (laughs) Every little nuance of our bra and how we created it was really thinking about how do we create something more comfortable. But Heidi stared complication in the face and said, not today. She talked with real women, consolidated their feedback, and started production on her first line of bras. Seven bras, where only one would go on to be the company's first product. And the winner? The 24-7 bra. And it was Heidi's customers that helped her choose the best product. The way we knew was that the return rate was incredibly low and that women were repeat purchasing very quickly with that bra. As if the design process weren't fraught-filled enough, let's just say production could make you faint. Yeah, let me tell you, those trips down to Mexico in the middle of the summer in July, um, when it was legitimately 120 degrees, and we would drive from Yuma, Arizona to the border, which took an hour, and then we would walk over the border, and our manufacturer would pick us up on the other side. It was once so hot that on the way home, I said, we're going to go get eggs because I believe we can fry them on the parking lot. That's how hot it is. And <laughs> I did it, and it didn't work, but that's how hot it was. It was, incri- it was so hot down there. <laughs> what Heidi was creating was so different from everything that had come before it. I believed there, from our early focus groups and then my personal experience, that we just needed to create more breadth of size. Because if you really think about all the different shapes that exist in terms of women, the fact that most brands only carry 25 to 30 sizes to fit millions of women doesn't make any sense. And so from the very beginning, I knew that we would want to create more sizes, stock more sizes, because the breadth of size is what allows a woman to find the right fit, and that in turn allows her to become comfortable. It's almost too difficult to wrap your brain around. Half cup sizes were not a thing until Heidi and Third Love started cutting fabric in 2013. 2013. The modern bra as we know it was patented in 1913. 
quick back of the napkin numbers, carry the easy math, and that's 100 years. Heidi, ever the practical one, talks me down from my rant. Well, in the bra market in particular, there's been very little innovation, both in terms of product and shopping experience. And so when you have very large players who control the market, I don't think there's as much impetus to change and innovate. And most bra retailers, they have stores. And so whether that's a department store or a Victoria's Secret, you're dealing with square footage and you're dealing with you can only carry a certain oh, amount of right. SKUs. Yeah. So if you think about half sizes, and today we offer 74 bra sizes. So it's an incredible breadth of size. It's virtually impossible to carry that in store, or you'd have to have the most enormous store known to, you know, womankind. And so the the retail landscape didn't really allow for that kind of innovation as well. Okay. Soapbox securely placed back in storage. Armed with a more inclusive product, informed by diverse women, that finally tackled every itchy back and busted wire issue, Heidi still had one more thread to sew. Third Love's brand is really an extension of its product. And that diverse and inclusive message was something Heidi built into the company from the start. So I think the biggest thing is that there's a lot of talk about inclusivity today, which is great um, because I think it's incredibly important, uh, but you have to stand behind inclusivity. So inclusivity is in some ways easy to portray through marketing and image choice, but really Mm -hmm. the proof is in what you offer. So I always say, how inclusive are you is like what percent of people can actually buy your product and wear it. So having an extensive size range means that we can fit a lot of women, and that means that we're inclusive. And so I think that's the disconnect. There's the idea of inclusivity on the surface and what that looks like um, visually, for example. Yeah. And then there's the actual inclusivity of the products that you're producing. There were aspects of diversity that even Heidi learned as she went. About six months ago, we got an email from one of our customers who, her name was Hope. She's about 50 years old and basically saying, I love your bra. Here's me in the 24-7. And she attached a selfie and she said, I love your products. I look great. I got your catalog in the mail and I was paging through it and no one in the catalog looked remotely like me in terms of my age. And that was something we really took to heart because we have so many customers who are over the age of 50 and we weren't showcasing any of them in our marketing. Yeah. Talking about being inclusive. Here you go, right? So it's like, yes, we were being ethnically inclusive and diverse. We were being size inclusive and diverse, um, but we were not representing women at what I would call life stages. And through our teacher own campaign that we launched last fall, and then even through today, what you'll see is there's a lot of age diversity as well in how we represent women. And I think that's something we've learned and is another dimension of that. So much of this stuff is unconscious. You would assume that the vast majority of brands never set out to actually be exclusive. But then again, it seems like every example you see says that ads feature people with a slight frame under the age of 35. It's actually quite hard to even find talent, whether when we do a lot of real women casting and we use models and kind of 
both, right? But in both scenarios, a lot of times the only women who are even in that age group are former models who are now over the age of 50. And it's like, well, what about all these like real women? And what did they look like when they hit 45 or 50 or 60, right? And yeah. so there's just the the talent pool hasn't even been built for that because a lot of women like that don't even think they could be in a commercial or could be in a photo shoot. So I think that whole industry needs to change to actually support a lot of the inclusivity movement that's going on, not just at Third Love, but across any brand. Third Love's message and growing customer base is what caught the attention of Razik in the first place. Victoria's Secret couldn't help but take notice of Heidi's work. And after building such an inclusive brand, it makes sense that Heidi would feel attacked by Razik's comments. But not solely because it mentioned her business. As a female, when you see a male executive talk about women in that way, um, it, it's upsetting uh, just as a female consumer um, because you're just sort of like, you don't understand, you're, you're not in my shoes, and the fact that you're telling me how I should think and feel about this fashion show that's, you know, was designed for certain reasons, um, it's, it's was upsetting to me as a female. And then of course, the fact that he made digs at the company, I get it, you know, we're a lot smaller than you, Victoria's Secret, but at the same time, it felt like it warranted a response. <laughs> but Heidi and her team had to be thoughtful. We did debate it. I mean, it wasn't something that was obvious. I think now it seems obvious that we should have done that because it was right to do it. But there was a lot of debate, like, is this the right thing to do? Should we just not respond at all? Do we just, like, you know, let him continue? They only had one chance to get their response just right. Like, I wish I was that smart and I could tell you that I read it and I was like, this is going to be the moment. Like, I, it was an evolution. I mean... The article came out on uh, the early part of the week, maybe a Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we put that open letter in the New York Times that Sunday, but we were finishing it up on Friday night. After all those hours of writing, there isn't a single word Heidi regrets. It actually turned out really, really well. I'm proud of it, and there's actually nothing I would change. Razik said plenty in that interview. But one thing he says that everyone can agree with is, quote, brand is hard to build. You have a brand position, and you have a brand point of view. The reason behind Third Love's response gets at that very notion. It's the position and point of view that Heidi felt was entirely out of touch. It, it's just not about, you know, the skinny white model anymore, right? Um, and the world is, is so much more diverse, and we're more diverse here in the United States than we've ever been, right, in terms of what we look like as a country. And I think that's important to be represented in the brands that, you know, we create. When we come back, We'll hear about the aftermath from Third Love's open letter. And we'll talk with Mark Barden about why Third Love isn't a disruptive brand. It's the perfect challenger brand. Oh, and we'll even fangirl about Katie Couric, too. There's a lot. We'll be right back. Love Your Melon began with a simple idea of putting a hat on every child battling cancer in America. Their original goal? 45,000 hats. And they did that. Pretty quickly. So Love Your Melon set a new goal, giving $1 million to pediatric cancer research and providing immediate support to children and their families. But getting there meant seriously overhauling their sales strategy. We weren't using HubSpot too far beyond blogging. Um, designing some landing pages, creating some automatic emails. That's Aaron Naft. 
I'm the business development director here at Love Your Melon. Six months after being hired, Aaron found himself launching something Love Your Melon had never attempted before, wholesale. Now don't get me wrong, they experimented with what wholesale could look like, but it ended up being a handful of retailers that we would more or less ship products to that they had no idea what they were getting. It was inventory that we had at the office that was saleable, um, extra inventory that we had in the warehouse. This was a time where we struggled to have inventory on hand. But retailers were out there. At the beginning, we were getting hundreds of leads a day. Only hitch? The sales team were attempting to qualify them one by one. Immensely inefficient. Here's the thing. Not all wholesalers are a good fit. You can't be selling beanies out of the back of your truck. Love Your Melon needed a way to qualify potential wholesalers without discounting the whole farm. So we actually used HubSpot to put together um, a pretty killer framework of email automation that would more or less qualify leads for us based on the emails that they were responding to and the different requirements we were asking them to complete. Uh, it was a, a huge key to our success in creating a funnel and qualifying leads and understanding when a rep needed to get involved versus when a computer could do the work for us. And the result? At the end of our first year, you know, we went from having maybe five unofficial retailers to having over 300. In our second year, we got even closer to 600, and it's led us to bring on customers as large as Dick's Sporting Goods. To date, Love Your Melon has given over $6.1 million to the fight against pediatric cancer and over 160,000 hats to children battling cancer. Check out more stories from our customers at HubSpot.com slash customer love. HubSpot. Grow better. When Heidi Zach dropped the open letter to Victoria's Secret, there were a few different scenarios that could have played out. She could be exalted for calling out the comments, finding the kind of love and support we all get from The Rock on Instagram. Or she could find the dark side of social media, raining down on her the kind that John Ronson would write about. And that's just from people. Definitely. I mean, I think that was part of the debate was like, how is this going to be taken? And will Victoria's Secret respond back again? And what would that look like? And of course, they didn't respond. But certainly, I was nervous. But Heidi had something on her side, something that maybe even a year earlier would have made this whole open letter business too risky a shake. It's an interesting move to make, but I felt like we were also at the right position in terms of our scale, where certainly we're much, much smaller than Victoria's Secret, but we're big enough to have a strong customer base that can advocate for us um, and also be part of our community that it felt okay now. Not only was the letter well received, the support was resounding. I mean, it was immediate and intense and overwhelming, meaning I think that I had no idea how far-reaching it would be. I mean, I meet so many people today who are just like, oh my gosh, you're the person who wrote that open letter. That was amazing. I mean, there were thousands and thousands of comments, both on my Instagram and then Third Love's Instagram. I think that women appreciated sort of this idea of like, let's let's like stand up and say like what women might actually want. It was about me and how I felt. Um, and, a, and, of course, a bit about third love, but it's more about sort of what do we deserve as women and how do we want to be marketed to and what's important to us. And I think that came through loud and clear through women just being like, yeah, that's right. We got to talk about one of the responses, the one that came from America's sweetheart herself, Haiti freaking Couric. 
one of my idols from growing up, um, somebody I aspired to be. I wanted to be a broadcast journalist when I was in seventh grade, and I wrote a book report on Katie Couric because I was obsessed with her and still am. And she commented on my Instagram post. Okay. I know she doesn't love the America's Sweetheart moniker that much anymore. But Katie Couric. And was like, thank, you know, like the thank you for delivering this message. Like, I totally agree with you. And it's like awesome to see. And so just the the kind of support um, that we saw from just across the board was really awesome. Only a few days after the open letter dropped, Victoria's Secret CEO Jan Singer stepped down as the company's leader. Shares fell. And a lot of articles in one form or another mentioned Third Love's name. And the, you know, the gift that they were given by Victoria's Secret, calling them out in a Vogue article. I mean, one of the things that all challenger brands are trying to do, and certainly all the challenger brands that we try to work with, is make Goliath blink. That's Mark Barden. He's a partner at Eat Big Fish, a consulting firm that studies challenger brands. Can we get Goliath to introduce us into the conversation and bracket again? We're Victoria's Secret. We're all about bras. You know, we're women's first love, not their third love. I mean, they must have been champagne being opened at the third love headquarters when that happened. Because now the biggest Goliath in the category has just legitimized them as a player. Mark sees third love as a shining example of a challenger brand. It's a brand with big ambitions to change the way the world thinks about a particular category. But they don't have the resources that they need to make that change happen. And They have to be really conscious about leaning into the implications of the gap between those two things. And it means, first of all, you've got to have a very strong point of view about what you believe in, something that creates a spike in culture and get people talking about you. You need to break the conventions and the codes that have been established by the category over many years. You need to do brave things and on and on. Third Love doesn't have the iron bank behind them like Victoria's Secret. And other brands looking to challenge their industry's own leader likely won't either. So instead, a challenger brand leans into that gap between resources and ambitions. What Third Love has been able to do is identify, and again, this is Challenger 101, is identify a shift in the culture. Oh, there's a different kind of conversation wanting to happen here. Name a category. You can see Over time, categories establish conventions, they establish codes, they're establishing ways of engaging consumers, and that gets tired. The world is changing around us constantly, and brands don't keep up. And so Third Love spotted the cultural moment, and they said, hmm, that feels really out of date. There's a very different way for us to market to women. Let's lean into that moment. Let's offer a very dramatically different point of view from the brand leader, and and be very clear about the juxtaposition of the two things. And Ask women, do you want to buy this unrealistic angel model or do you want to buy this reality-based model which looks and feels more like you? But Mark knows the world doesn't operate in ones and zeros. No. The world's a complicated place where tastes, values, and trends all crash together to create our culture. One of the things I just find so fascinating about modern markets is just this kind of explosion. It's like the Big Bang happened way back in history, and it's going in every direction. So at the same time as there are brands like Third Love, at the very same time, there's an obsession with all sorts of Kardashians. And it is possible in the modern world for the same woman to hold both sets of interests. But there's one thing that will always speak through our ethereal culture haze. Empathy with user. The key thing 
is to establish empathy with the people that you serve. And real empathy, not that sense of a cardboard cutout sense of what the consumer is like. First of all, don't call them the consumer. Call them human beings. Refer to them as women with needs and points of view and understand them in that way. Closing that empathy gap, getting really close to your consumers is always going to be the best place to start in terms of fashioning a great challenger brand. Third Love's not the only inclusive bra and underwear company on the market today. But before you go thinking it's time for Heidi to start digging that moat play of hers, she sees it as quite the opposite. She loves it. I think what I'm most proud of at Third Love is really truly, I think, helping push an industry forward because there's a lot of entrance into the bra and underwear space over the past few years. And together, because almost all of them are showing some type of more inclusive product or marketing and both than VS ever has, that together we are pushing at least our industry forward. And I think others are taking note across industries as well. It was recently announced that this year alone, Victoria's Secret plans to close three times the amount of stores than usual. And the ratings for the company's fashion show? According to Quartzy, after running the numbers, an NCIS Los Angeles rerun in the same time slot got 1.5 million more views than the Victoria's Secret fashion show. I mean, it must be true. Ladies love Cool James. Heidi Zack stood up for something she believed in. It's honestly such a bold move for a business. But Third Love's core values of diversity and inclusion, product built for women of all shapes and sizes, it's all there in the company's open letter to Victoria's Secret. Let's listen to women. Let's respect their intelligence. Let's exceed their expectations. Let women define themselves. As you said, Ed, we're nobody's third love. We're their first love. We are flattered for the mention, but let me be clear. We may not have been a woman's first love, but we will be her last. To all women, everywhere, we see you and we hear you. Your reality is enough. To each her own. Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. You can read Third Love's open letter in its entirety over on their website at thirdlove.com. I mean, it's such great copy. We're kicking off a whole new season, and we're talking with founders and authors about how companies can grow better. You'll hear folks from all sorts of industries, from toothbrushes to hair loss, campsites to canned wine. Be sure to subscribe now so you can get every new episode delivered right there into your feed each week. I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, and thanks for listening.